And it's not like, hey, we don't care if we lose. Like, we're not happy-go-lucky. Like, guys are pissed. They're going in the cage, hitting extra after the game. But they know now, like, they see what I say to them everything. There's bigger things in life than just the game of baseball. And until you recognize that, you will not reach your potential and your competitive drive because to be a high-level competitor, it has to bother you that you lose, but you have to have a short-term memory that the next day you're ready to come and grind it out again because what's going to happen if you don't, you'll come the next day and it'll linger and it'll take away from your competitive drive and it'll take away from your preparation of getting better. He said, I knew right then that you were the right guy for the job because it didn't matter how much you got paid, that you're willing to do whatever you could to coach and be with these kids in this community. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price, and welcome to episode number 57. As always, I'm honored to have you here. For anyone tuning in on this first day of the episode's existence, I hope you and your family are having an absolutely wonderful holiday season. The next episode will air on New Year's Day, which means this is the final episode of 2021. The club has grown so much over these past 12 months, from the newsletter to the Twitter chats to this podcast, and you are the reason why. So I just wanted to start this thing with a heartfelt thank you to all of those who have joined me as guests, those who have recommended the amazing people that I've had on the show, and all the wonderful coaches across the country and world who have tuned in trying to be just a little bit better for their student-athletes. And a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. They have been such a giant piece of the puzzle here, not just as a sponsor, but truly as a partner. I am convinced that nobody is a bigger supporter of coaches than CEO Will Miner. Can't thank Netting Pros enough for what they do for us. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, Netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are huge markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They're truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, uh, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They're improving programs one facility at a time. This podcast is also sponsored by Driveline Plus. High school coaching is about effectively identifying and communicating what athletes need to do to improve. Driveline Plus is a growing and ever-changing library of the best information on baseball player development. Members will find how-tos on different baseball technology and the latest research findings from Driveline's lab, along with inside access to Driveline trainers to make sure you can effectively coach your team. Plus, members also get the best discounts that you can find on Driveline training gear. Listeners of this podcast can get $25 off their first year of Driveline Plus by using the coupon code HSCC. That's the letters HSCC for $25 off your first year of Driveline Plus. Go to drivelinebaseball.com slash plus to learn more. You can also find the link down in the show notes. As a Plus member myself, can't recommend it enough. I get so much from there. In this episode, I'm joined by the head baseball coach and co-athletic director at Clinton High School in Tennessee, Rob Stacy. 
He took over the program in 2019 when it had just 14 players, and he's grown it into something special in just a couple of years. More importantly, he's invested himself into helping the Clinton community reach its potential. You're going to learn a thing or two today, that's for sure. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 57 with Rob Stacy. All right, I'm joined by Rob Stacy. Thanks for being here. Hey, what's going on? Uh, just glad to have you on and, and and connect with you and and just I've had a, a couple people from the East Coast on obviously and and Tennessee seems to be a really good uh, baseball state so just appreciate you being here. Yeah, for sure. I got. I mean, I'm very fortunate to be in this state. It's uh, it's it's a challenge at times, um, but it's it's a place that I love. I love growing up here. I actually went to school in Kentucky, like as far as playing baseball and in North Carolina as well, but. Man, just something keeps drawing me back to the state, the volunteer state. So, <laughs> well, I saw you, one of my just in researching about you and stuff. What your pin tweet? I, and I followed you on Twitter for a long time, anyway. So I've seen on it for a long time, but uh, I've always really liked it and, and just kind of read it or, or thereabouts with it. Uh, it essentially says something about you telling your players all the time that when you went on your college visit back in the day, um, the the thing that kind of impressed your future coach the most wasn't your your baseball abilities necessarily. It was the little things you did, like holding your door open for your mom and taking your hat off in the building and saying, yes, sir, um, and all that stuff, and just trying to impart that upon your own players. And I just I think that's a really cool message for kids to see as soon as they click onto your Twitter or for other coaches to see as soon as they click onto your Twitter. It's an important thing that some people sometimes forget. Yeah, man, that that uh, tweet actually like you know blew up. Um, I'm still getting likes on it like today. Like, it's it's wild. But I mean that true that story is like so true. Like it's so true. Like my grandfather actually played football at Virginia Tech, and and my dad uh, he works very hard. He like drives a truck for Walmart. So like it's like a blue collar type family. But um, I would I mean I've got so many funny stories about my grandfather raising me. It's like those little things. Like I remember. You know, he'd give me like five dollars uh, when I come visit him, but I I couldn't get the five dollars from him unless I like properly shook his hand that when I met him. Um, just crazy stories like that, like that I never knew. Like when I was growing up, like that was going to be something that was a big time value for me. But um, it's wild. Like my dad, you know, taught me that about taking your hat off in a building, and and it just stuck with me. He taught me about when we're eating, you know, certain table manners. It's stuff that. Like it's eye opening now, and I catch myself. I got a little five year old boy. I catch myself doing the same thing with him without even thinking about it. And and my guys know that I. That my guys are like very particular. Actually, we went on a visit uh, like last week to Kentucky Christian, and it's so crazy you brought that up because the first building we walked into, I had a senior uh, turn around and pat one of the juniors on the back, and said, "Hey, remember, Coach Stacy said no hats in the building," and I didn't even say that. I mean, I'd not even brought that up to the on the visit or anything. I didn't bring like three hours away, and I didn't even bring it up to him. Like as far as that goes, I was just talking to him about how to act and like the questions to ask. And then uh, you know, we go to knock on the door and come in, and one of the seniors goes, "You know, Coach Stacy said no hats in the building." I was like, "Man, I didn't even say that. Thanks for reminding me. I was about to walk into with mine, but." Um, but it's it's stuff like that. I think that's looks really big on our program. Those little things that we've been doing. It's it's been fun to coach and and get guys to believe in that stuff. Isn't that one of the coolest things too? When your uh, when your own players start kind of repeating the same things that you've been saying for a long time, and they start kind of taking control of the program themselves in that way. Oh, dude, it's it's fantastic. Um, like for for that, like 
like everybody's obviously on this podcast probably going to look up and be like, man, let's look up and see what this guy's, you know, record and everything is. I mean, I mean, as far as coaching wise, like head coach wise, I guess you could say years wise, young wise, but as far as like uh, being in stuff involved with coaching and like in a leadership role, I mean, I've, it's 13, 15 years in, in the business of that kind of role. Um, but you know, you're going to look at the record and be like, man, you know, there's just, they're just not as good as I thought they were going to be. And I told everybody this when I was talking at Sheets thing for five minutes. I was like, everybody's going to look up real quick and be like, why is this guy talking? But again, again, you know, I, I took on this job, especially Clinton. Uh, we have a great basketball tradition here. Uh, we're trying to rebuild some of our sports programs back as far as our football team and some other sports. And then our baseball team in the past, uh, had been successful and it just went down a, a path of just not being successful. And I looked it up one day when I was assistant at Crockett, uh, Davy Crockett in Jonesboro, Tennessee. And I was like, man, I just want a challenge. And I kept, you know, I kept praying to, to God to like open up a door and, and all this good stuff for like 10 years straight. And my wife knows these prayers because she would hear me tell them at night. And I just kept telling him, you know, like, you know, put me in a situation that's going to not only challenge me, but change not just, you know, a wins and loss of a program, but change a community and its mindset. And But he put me in the exact place. I waited for a while, uh, but he put me in the exact place I'm supposed to be, and I couldn't be happier with where I'm at. That's fantastic. I think a lot of people, um, and you know this from coaching, a lot of people get into situations early in their career where maybe things don't work out that well. And, and your path to coaching, obviously, is a little bit different from a lot of people's. It's not like you um, – I, you know, you went to college, obviously, you, you coached a little bit in college, but then from there, it's not like you immediately went in and, and started coaching high school ball uh, from the get-go. And so can you kind of run us back, like, how did you get into coaching and how is your path a little bit different than a lot of the people who end up coaching? Yeah, so, I mean, it's wild. So uh, I got done playing. So what's crazy, my senior year at Pikeville, uh, we'd actually uh, let go, like, had a coach resign, let go, whatever you want to call it, a guy that I loved, actually. Um and we actually had a, a high school Hall of Famer come in from the state of Kentucky. He'd coached at Lawrence County, and uh, he was the head coach, the interim head coach. And Well, we'd be on bus rides, and me and him would talk, and he just knew for a fact like I was going to coach. Like I just kept you know, bugging him, telling him all this other stuff. Well, season ends up uh, being done. Uh, we lose uh, in, our, in our conference championship, and then we have to go through another coaching change as far as hiring a coach. Well – I knew that I wanted to coach. So as soon as we hired the guy, I kind of knew him from like camps at Tennessee when I used to go to Tennessee uh, camps when I was younger and his name was Rob Taylor. And I went, I went full bore. I went and as soon as I found out he was hired, I knocked on the door. I was wearing like a, a shirt and tie, you know, here I was a senior. I haven't even walked across the graduation yet. And I'm wearing a, sh- a shirt and tie. And I just walk in and say, coach, uh, I know you have met you before. Uh, you might not remember me, but I want to be your assistant. And it just, it kind of bloomed from there. And then, for two years, I was a coach there. I actually uh, had a couple of interviews. That I, one of the interviews was Dave Barnett down at Flagler College. I tell everybody this story. Um, it's crazy. I get down to Flagler. I drive about eight or nine hours down there and then uh, get down there and go through the whole interview process. And I'm like, man, this is going to be a pretty good gig. Like, I'm going to step up in the world, all right? Well, I ended up, you know, basically losing the job to his son, which, again, you know, being a dad now, I mean, you can't get upset at that. At the time, I wasn't upset. I was like, man, like that just tells me it's a good person. I'm glad I went for this interview because he values his son. He values his family. Like, you know, one day I could possibly coach for him. So I, I appreciate just being 
in his presence. You know, he's a fantastic Hall of Fame type coach. Uh, then year two rolled around, and I interviewed for another job because at the time, the only reason I was interviewing, I love Pikeville. I love you, Pike. It's it's a great school in Eastern Kentucky. Fantastic, and what they're doing with their programs right now is even even crazy. Um, but I was you know, I was in that role of you know assistant making a stipend for the year of like a thousand dollars. So, you know, I knew, I knew I was like, man, I can't live off this. Like I'm trying to grind. I'm trying to do camps. I'm trying to do all this stuff. But, um, that's when your college bills start, you know, coming back. And I kind of looked at my mom and dad and I was like, you know, you provided all this for me. I cannot ask you to keep paying for me to, you know, ride this out. I've got to go do something, figure out financially what I want to do and then come try to get back into this thing. Um, so I move home, um, and I'd, I'd actually planned on – this is how I found the CrossFit world. I'd actually planned and actually had it set up. I was going to go into uh, the Air Force, and I was going to try and train for special forces with the Air Force with combat control because my grandfather flew – my grandfather, the, author, the guy that played football at Virginia Tech, he also flew planes in World War II and B-17 bombers, so – I was kind of trying to follow that path of his. And um, so come to find out, like the day I'm getting ready to sign to go into the Air Force, uh, I'm, I'm working at this gym, just going nuts, doing crazy workouts, people watching you and just staring at you. And uh, this guy at the front desk goes, hey, man, have you ever thought about working at the gym? And I said, buddy, I was like, I, I can't even get a job coaching. Right now, I'm up on houses doing gutter. <laughs> so, I've got a col- I've got a college degree. Like, there's no way that you're going like that. I'm gonna get a job here. I was like, I've interviewed everywhere. Well, lo and behold, the day that I was supposed to sign to go into the Air Force, they offered me the job right there. And my my mother just living the, um, you know, she was the Air Force kid in the military. You know, traveling the world with following my grandfather. She just begged me. She's like, please, just for just for me, just give this a, a go. Like if it's three months and you don't like it, you can always go back and sign up. And she's like, I don't want you going overseas. <clears throat> I know the stuff that you're trying to go into. And I'm really kind of hesitant. And just out of respect to her, to be honest with you, I was just like, all right, I'll give it a go for three months and see how this work at this gym thing works. <laughs> well, you know, you know, eight or nine, 10 years later, I'm still working. <laughs> I look back and I'm like, holy cow, like 10 years, just nine, 10 years just went by so fast. Um, Well, at the gym at the time, uh, I was like, you know what, if I, if I can't, you know, get back into this baseball thing, I'm just going to go back and and I've got to be in a world and a realm that's competitive. And anybody that knows me, like, I mean, if, if, if there's a, a seat, if there's one seat in a room, I'm going to race you to that seat to get it. Um, That's just how it is. And I just get into CrossFit and I guess become consumed with it. I'm talking about from not just the training aspect, but understanding everything. At, at one time, I think I accomplished around 15 different certifications in CrossFit and traveled basically the entire Southeast, um, made, it, made it to level two or three of their CrossFit trainer course as far as being like a lead trainer that travels the world and then teaches CrossFit to other people. I had my L1, I had my L2. Now I'd actually made it to level three, like of an internship. Um, and I'm just being surrounded by these people that have competed on TV and everything. So um, I competed a little bit myself, but on like a lower level, like a lower regional type level. Um, then I started training people more and getting more involved with that. I own like 
got an affiliate that was a, in, in the gym that I was at. We started the affiliate with inside the gym, which is unique, which most CrossFits are just loaned by themselves. Well, we'd, we'd made it where that gym could have an, a CrossFit affiliate in it. And it, we started with, I think the first week we had 10 people sign up and went at the height of it. I think we had 216 members. So um, that's, that was enormous in itself, but I just kept grinding this, this coaching aspect of it too. Like, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed being around people and coaching, but the, the crazy thing is all these families that would train with me had their kids playing baseball and they would come to me nonstop asking baseball questions. And I'm not talking about strength and conditioning questions. It's like, what do you think about this swing? Cause they, they found out I played college baseball and coached. I just kept getting drawn back in, drawn back in. Um, then finally, a good friend of mine that I'd played against, uh, Paul Holman, um, crazy stat for anybody that's listening to this, look up Paul Holman. He is the first home run derby champion of the College World Series. So if you go back and watch the College World Series, he, he's the big redheaded guy in, in the first home run derby. Uh, massive. Played at ETSU, fantastic guy, owned a facility in Johnson City, but – he just comes to me out of the blue, man, and is like, hey, I got this uh, 15U team. They're kind of a bunch of little renegades. Um, nobody wants to coach them. Uh, they don't, they're not very good right now. And I was like, buddy, sign me up. But like, he couldn't stop talking before I could say sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> so I take this little, this little ragtag gang, and we go out and start practicing and stuff. And, you know, <clears throat> I just fall in love with them. And, we start winning some games, and you know the previous year they'd not done very, they'd not had a whole lot of success at their 14 u age. Um, and then I find out the kids just are drawn to me and just are in, in, in love with me. And then I had my buddy Mike Ranson, who used, he used to be a pitching coach at Delaware and Furman. Uh, he started coming and working with them a little bit on pitching stuff and kind of giving pitching programs and stuff like that. And he comes to a game is like, he's like, and he calls me Robbie. He's like Robbie. But you need to get back in this coaching thing. Like, it's obvious this is what you're passionate about. And I was like, all right. So I get back started with uh, actually my rival high school. So it's crazy about our little area in East Tennessee is that our rival high school, one's Daniel Boone and the other one's David Crockett. So it's (laughs) about American right there. Yes, sir. About about (laughs) as country as it can be right there Um, uh, in in East Tennessee. But, Crazy thing about that too, like our football games would play for a musket, so, <laughs> so <laughs> pretty big deal, yes. musket. But um, so I come back and uh, I started assisting and doing a little strength and conditioning with uh, David Crockett, which is actually my rival. I went to Boone, uh, which is kind of like kind of nervous in that aspect too. Like, hey, I'm going over here with you know a different side of the county, um, but fell in love with the kids there. Really had a heart for them. Um, then that morphed into they they a longtime coach basically retires from there, and then they had a one year where they had one, they had a coach and things kind of didn't work out, and then they you know that coach moves on, and then the next and coaching line comes in, and I'd actually went for it. I was like, you know what, I'm going for this thing. Um, I'm going to try to be the head coach of this place. And, you know, I, I mean, Josh Kite, who's their AD, Josh played at ETSU too, and he went to a little school called Chucky Doak, was all state and just a baseball guy. So their AD is a baseball guy. He ended up playing, I think, in the Indians organization and made it as far as AAA and then blew out his arm. Crazy story about that. 
Um, but just a baseball purist, baseball mind, a uh, couple years older than me. And, you know, I get in, finally get my chance to interview or whatever. And uh, the big hang up was, is I didn't have, I, I currently did not have a teaching license. So that kind of kept me out of that role. But the, what's crazy is they went and hired um, my, one of my very good friends that I played against in high school and in college in Spencer Street. And they got us down in the interview and they're like, hey, the best of both worlds is here. Like Spencer's got the teacher's license. He's got the experience of being in high school and knows how to, you know, set up the schedules and run booster clubs and all that. And it's like, Rob, you can learn some of that stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, just get me in the door, right? Like, it doesn't matter if I'm the head guy or the assistant guy. And I just look at Spencer and I said, man, if it's with you, I'm 100% on board. Like, and I'm not going to trump you at all. Like, I'm what my, my goal is going to be the best assistant coach. Cause at the time, for nine, eight to nine years at that CrossFit gym, getting all the way up to where I was at, where I was like head of, head of training and, and, and just in a big time leadership role, I knew how valuable it was to have good assistants and have assistants that were on board. And man, I tell everybody that's like, I learned more in those eight or nine years of how I handle my assistants and everything that happens below me at the high school level than I would have ever learned being a high school coach. Cause I probably would have made more mistakes. Um, but at that I could, I could kind of make a mistake and kind of like try to almost fix it because it wasn't as drastic, you know, uh, you didn't have guys kind of leaving. You'd have guys that were older than you that you're over in that gym, and they'd just come flat out tell you, like, hey, that's just not how you handle business. Like, you just don't call me out in front of people, right? And I had that happen once. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm going from the coaching world. I'm kind of used to that. And it, it kind of dawned on me, like, that's probably not the best people skills to have. So it helped me in that aspect. But, um, yeah, I get to Crockett, and um, we go from basically second to last to uh, – third in the district in one year, uh, had a great, great hitting, hitting class. Like we really took the weight room serious. Uh, we had a kid named Cade Larkins. He's actually the quarterback at, uh, ETSU right now. One of the backup quarterbacks. He was a, he's like top 20 in, in passing yards in the nation. Um, hit 455 and like multiple home runs. Like should be, he should also be playing baseball. I'm just yeah. going to say that. So hopefully, if he <laughs> listens, hopefully if he listens to this, he'll, he'll, reconsider that because he knows that I've been hard on him about that. But, um, yeah, man, I just enjoyed being with Spencer. It was fantastic. And then Clinton just popped up on the map there one day. I applied for it, came down here, uh, walked into the AD office with Brad Collette, interviewed, and interview lasted 10 minutes. I get up and leave, and I'm like, man, I just screwed that up. It lasted 10 minutes. (laughs) So I, I drive back home and about the time I get, I mean, it's about an hour and a half from where I grew up and uh, about halfway um, I get the phone call. Hey man, like, can you get your wife to come down there? Cause my wife is also a, uh, she's a math teacher uh, in middle school. And um, yeah. So I was like, I got her down here the next day. Now to kind of flip all that back uh, and how crazy all this was and how fast it worked is a lot of people didn't know that at the time, like i really took that, uh, I didn't have a teacher's license thing to heart. And I actually went back and got into master's program with King university in Bristol, Tennessee. And not only was I getting up in the mornings to go coach at a gym at 5am, I was getting up at 345am driving 45 minutes, coaching from five to about one, 
then training myself from like one to three, leaving, driving 30 minutes to Crockett to go to practice. Practice would get done around six, then driving another hour to go to King for classes and getting home at like 10. And I was doing that every single day. (laughs) And I I just knew in my mind, I kept telling myself, God's put you in this position for a reason. It's going to work out. You're going to be in a great place and all this hard work is going to pay off and it's going to be something you can tell people and hopefully help them with their journey too. But yeah, I finished up that master's program like a couple months ago. It's, it was delayed by a year because of COVID, but um, yeah. So I, I grinded to get that teacher's license and master's degree while doing all this. So it's, it's been crazy, but uh, it's been a great ride. So I know it's long winded. And every time I tell that story, I, I say the same thing at the end. I'm like, I'm sorry it's long winded, but that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. well, I think it's important so people understand. It's really easy to just be like, well, yeah, you know, and then I went and was at a, a CrossFit gym for a while. And then, I, then I got back into coaching, and that's my story. And it's a lot deeper than that, obviously. I think it's a good thing for people to hear, too, from the aspect, kind of where you finished off with the idea that. Um, and you've probably met people like this too, who, uh, really want to get into coaching high school baseball. I get a lot of guys like that too, um, who want to coach and want to be a part of a program, uh, but also just the schedule is really difficult to do. And so then they kind of get into this idea of, well, maybe teaching something I want to do so I can teach and coach. And then it's really hard for people, I think, to probably in every respect, but to change careers and to go through all of the hard work that it takes to be able to do that, especially, you know, with something like teaching where you need to have a certification, you need to have a degree for it. Like there's, there's a lot of parts, moving parts to go through. It would have been really easy for you at that time to just be like, well, that's a lot of work. Like I just won't do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so um, it's a big leap for people to take and it's, it's, it's not easy. And I think it's important for people to understand that it isn't easy, but if, if, if it's something you think you're being called to do, you almost have a duty and obligation to do that anyway. Oh, hundred percent. Like that, that aspect, like I'm never going to tell anybody like, Hey, like you can, like you can do it. It's easy. Like figure it out. Like I, I always like try to tell people the truth about that. It's not like a bragging standpoint. It's like, there's many times that I would sit down just so frustrated uh, and just sit there and like stare at a wall, honestly, and be like, man, I just can't see the end in sight. Like I can't see the end of this rainbow. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's felt like a ladder that was just nonstop, especially with the class aspect and the master's aspect. And um, then moving my family here. And this is, this is the even crazier part. And I haven't told a ton of people this story, but um, so when we got, when I finally got hired at Clinton, we're, we're in a very great area, 20 minutes outside of Knoxville. Well, the housing here is just through the roof and it's very hard to find housing. So me and my wife sell our house in Kingsport. Uh, again, we've got a five-year-old, well, five-year-old now at the time he was three, three-year-old son. And this is happening so fast because it's hired like in June or July and school's obviously starting in August. So I've got to finish up the gym, hand the gym over to my best friend at the time, Brett DeBruin, um, and let him kind of run with it. And then at the same time, my wife has to get her job at the middle school and then become, you know, involved with that. And here's the crazy part. We didn't have a house. So Brad Collette, our AD, um, was gracious enough in doing this. It, it, it blows people's mind. Like most people here at Clinton don't know this. Cause I've kind of kept this kind of silent is for three months. Uh, Brad has his mom and dad live in Bearden, which is in Knoxville. Um, 
me and my wife and my little boy that uh, was three lived in that room in their back, um, which is maybe the size of a guest room with a little bit of a like living area for three months. And we were about 45 or 50 minutes from our job. So me being, me being 50, about 45 minutes from, uh, Clinton and then Brittany, and it's because of traffic and then Brittany really being probably 50 to 55 minutes from Norwood. Um, and then obviously getting Rylan into a daycare, like trying to get him into a daycare. <laughs> like it was, it was the try. I said, I told my best friend this, I go, buddy, if my wife doesn't kill me, I don't know how she, I don't know if she's ever going to kill me after this one. I was like, I don't know if I've screwed up or done the best thing in my life. Because really for me, like I told people at the gym, they're like, why are you giving this up? Like it wasn't that I didn't have like a, a passion for it. I obviously liked it. I enjoyed it. I didn't have the same drive and passion that I knew if I got into baseball again that I have until I was like in my 60s and 70s, right? Like I'm going to have that that passion. I'm going to wake up invigorated. Um, and at the same time too, like baseball for me just hits different than, than the everyday grind of a training, right? I'd go home and I wouldn't have the same energy to like play with my son um, because I was working so long and so many hours at the gym, I was working 12 hours, almost 13 hours. Um, and then baseball flipping over that, like my son has, has come to practice before and just sat in the dugout and I get to see him smile. Like, I mean, he loves, he loves just hanging out. Um, or, you know, I, his T-ball field is right behind our baseball field, like where he plays T-ball at. So like when practice is over and he's got a T-ball game, all I do is walk over there and I'm not missing that stuff. And people at the gym, like, that's when they knew. That's why I made that decision. I told them, I said, I'm doing this to be with with my family more, which for coaches, like, listen to this, that, that they're going to think, no, that's crazy. Like, we actually see our families less. And that's exactly, kind of the yeah. That's kind of the bad part of coaching. Well, you know, the job I previously at was at, it was, it, was way, it was way worse. It was just – it was nonstop grind. You're dealing with everybody. Um, like, owning a gym – it's almost like being the mayor. You're going to hear everybody's complaints and you're going to rarely hear anybody's like thank yous. Right. Yeah. Everybody's coming in. They're like, man, I can't lose this weight. Then you give them an answer and it's not the answer they want. (laughs) You know, know, I want to accomplish this goal by the end of this year. And it's like, buddy, there's what, here's the things that you have to do. And then, you know, they don't do X, Y, and Z. So they're just upset at you. So it's, it's a constant, like, you're, you're, you're really high and you're mostly really low, which I couldn't deal with going home and just being in that mindset with my son. Cause I just would watch him play. And I'm like, I just want to be able to like be in, in a better mindset right now. But man, baseball, like I felt like I'm on vacation right now. And I, the coaches, I, every time I've told a coach that they almost like, it's like, they're going to rip my head off. <laughs> so, and I'm like, you don't understand, like just to have my wife and son show up to a game, is like big time for me because the fact that we live closer to everything that we do and my wife is on the same schedule because she's a teacher and my son's in the same schedule because my wife picks him up. Like you have no clue what it's like to be on the same schedule and it's, it's mind blowing. And that's why I've, I've loved being here. So that's one of the things that when you were uh, going through your path and when you got to the part about going to Clinton and, and, you know, your wife interviewing, obviously. And one of the things I jotted down that I wanted to make sure I asked you was essentially what you just answered, which was basically like, how do you go from 
what seemed like a, a, a good spot to all of a sudden, like trying to convince your wife and to move and you've got a kid. And then, you know, obviously going through the part about not having a house to even go to yet. And, uh, but you answered it like it's, uh, and, and like you said, for most coaches, they're probably listening going, what the heck? There's no way. Yeah. But when you explain it, it all makes sense. But that's what I think someone asks is like, how do you convince your wife to do all this so that you can coach high school baseball? What? <laughs> But okay, just, that makes sense. She she just I mean she's very like the good thing about her is I she uh, actually uh, was did track at Carson Newman University. So oh, okay, yeah. So how I met my wife, I played at uh, I went two years to Brevard in North Carolina. Played for a guy named Gil Payne. He's actually the head coach and AD in Easley, South Carolina, right now. Um, and then. When I first got there, I just had some crazy coaching journeys and changes, to be honest with you. My baseball stuff is just crazy for people here. I show up day one or about the first week at Brevard, and you know I'm so excited to play for Coach Payne. I just know because he's he's from our area, but he's you know is coaching college two hours away from Johnson City. And I show up in a class with a bunch of guys from my area that are being recruited. Well, he had a son coming up, and and again – this is me looking back and like looking on things and having value and like family and son and daughter, whatever, you know, you might have. And just looking back and when I was that age, I didn't understand the decision, but now I'm like this age, I'm like, man, that just makes a hundred percent sense. And, and what he did was he actually uh, decided to step away when like first week we were there and, and Brevard at the time was very good. We were in the AAC and, you know, we we're rivals with like basically Tennessee Wesleyan at the time, like battling them for a region and, and uh, all that. And um, he decides to move back home to coach at Elizabethan uh, and coach his son in high school, which now I, I look at that and I go, I get it totally. Yeah. Like that's just, like I, w- I would want to be in that situation too because then you're spending every single day like and getting to talk. To, I mean, you're coaching. I know it's hard, but going for those eight or nine years and really realizing the things you could miss if you're doing something else besides coaching – you realize the value of having a coach like your son one day. If that's if that ever happens for me, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I tell everybody I want him to be a lacrosse player, but there's no lacrosse, there's no lacrosse around you know Knoxville at the moment. So <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do. Yeah, um, but anyway, so so uh, Gil leaves. Uh, we had another guy step in, and um, I end up transferring the second year at Brevard. And just because I had a buddy who was actually at Pikeful and he was like, Hey man, like, I really want you to come play for us. I want you to play, you know, outfield with us. And, uh, I, we just really need you. And he, he knew that the kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to say leadership and, and stuff like that, but he knew like the work ethic that I had as far as weight room and like grinding in the cage and grinding at practice and being an early morning guy. And he just knew that that's kind of what they needed. So I transferred up there <laughs> and play play year one for uh, Don Ashby. And then year two, uh, situation happens. He He's out of there. And then all of a sudden, I'm playing for another coach. And then that coach after that, you know, uh, he, he resigns and leaves. And I'm playing or coaching with Rob Taylor. So it's just, you know, I've been, I've been through it. I tell everybody the best thing about coaching that I've learned um, – you know, you learn a lot of things from good coaches. I've learned some things. You know, sometimes you learn a lot of things from bad coaching. And I'm not saying I had terrible coaches by any means. I'm not here to bash guys online. But um, from watching other coaches that you play against uh, and how they treat their players sometimes or how they might talk about them, um, you learn a lot. 
I always tell everybody, I was like, I don't want to be that guy at home plate meeting. It's like looking back in my dugout going, man, these, these guys just can't play. <laughs> right? So in my mind, every time I've heard that, every single time I've heard that when I coach or if I've coached travel, I sit there and look and I'm like, what do you mean you, you those guys can't play? Like that's just uh, – that's a product of your coaching. So if you're not – you know, into those guys in your dugout and like excited to coach those guys or think that they're good. Like, what are you doing during practice to, to get that change and that environment changed? Right. So I'm just a positive guy. I don't know if you can tell that yet, but I'm just not a negative guy. And I hate, I hate that when the guy's like, man, we're just not very good this year. And then all of a sudden you walk out there and that dude's got like three D one guys throwing at you. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, over grinding, I'm over grinding trying to make you know my jimmies and joes uh you know the best they can be and i still think they're great but you're over here just bashing guys that are just quality players so um just hey i mean I, I hate that kind of environment and when i'm able to talk in front of people i usually bring that up because it's upsetting at times uh because being out of coaching made me realize how valuable it is as, as a coach to the, it to be a coach of young men and lead them and make them get to their goals and and make them accomplish things that they never thought they could. And I just can't find myself, you know, just bashing them to someone else. Now I'll jump their tails in front of them. You know, I'm not a I'm not a softy by any means, but um but yeah, it's it's been it's been a wild journey as far as that goes. And I just love my guys. I mean Butch says that all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Butch Butch me and Butch play each other. Butch is about an hour fifteen away, and uh, he says it. And I, I and every time he says it, I like his tweet because I'm just like, man, I 100 percent agree. You know, I, I love my guys. Sometimes they make me want to pull my hair out, but I still love them. So <laughs> every time he tweets, I just hear his voice. Love my guys, Credo. Yep, it is Butch. Yeah, man, he really does. When you took over at Clinton, you you'd mentioned to me, I think off air that. Um, was it 2019 or something like that? They only had like 14 guys in the whole program, yeah? Yeah. So so when I first got here, I mean, our schools, uh, you know, we've got 1,167, I think it was the last thing. And my high school that I played for, I think was around 1,500. When I was at Crockett, we were around 1,400. So I was used to being in programs where we had a um, – a varsity, a JV, and even sometimes a freshman team. Right, and, yeah. I, and that, that, that just mentality of development was just huge for me. And I, and I got here, and it really blew my mind because when I went to go tryouts, I was like, all right, we're going to have tryouts, you know, because Tennessee is kind of weird. So we have some try, – like we try to have tryouts in the summer so we can work with guys because you can't really have tryouts until February. And then when you get to February, you got four weeks until your season starts. So it's kind of ludicrous to even have tryouts at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. So you want to have tryouts in the summer and kind of get your team together to have, you know, summer stuff and an open workouts and all that stuff. But, well, I had 14 guys show up, and I'm looking around going, what in the world? Like, I thought I came to a bigger school than this. And, you know, come to find out that, you know, the JV program just just didn't take off like it was supposed to. Um, guys just weren't passionate about baseball. And – uh so I'm walking the hallways of Clinton, and I'm just finding dudes that are, look like athletes. And I'm like, hey, man, I'll see you at the baseball field today. And um, then what's crazy, you know, I get them up to – I think we had 24 to start our season before COVID, and we play three games. And I had this mm-hmm. – I mean, I just had 
I had our varsity ready to go, 10 seniors that, and a bunch of them that could play. Um, we're going to, you know, we're out there beating our chest. Let's shock the world. Like I had them all believing, right? And then COVID hits. We play three games. Our JV like actually excelled in all their, in their uh, um, scrimmages and their tournament they played. At, at, like it's the best they'd ever done, right? And then we play three games. We lose three games against three quality teams. And uh, Central that was coached by Dustin Plumlee was our district matchup. They were going to probably be first or second in our district that year. And we play them close. And in uh, Union County, uh, coached by Josh Warwick, who's a good friend of mine, and we lose that game one nothing, and, and our guy threw a one hitter. <laughs> you know, we lose one nothing, and our guy threw a one hitter, and uh, would you know just. And then COVID literally hits the very next day because I I had a you know come to come to Jesus I guess meeting right after that game, and guys I could just tell in their eyes like man we're about to go on a run right here, and COVID hits and we're done. And, you know, I lose I, – I did my best to keep up with the guys. Um, we actually put our guys into a the, – the, the Smokies, which is a double-A affiliate in Sevierville, which is about 45 minutes outside of Knoxville, double-A affiliate of the Cubs, actually came and put on a high school league that summer when Tennessee kind of lifted its COVID restrictions. Nice. And allowed high school teams to kind of put their teams into it. Well, you know – it didn't really sit kosher with with TWSA, which I get what I get where they're coming from. Like we canceled the season, like we don't need you out there playing in your high school, you know, jerseys and and logos and all that stuff because it's going to really look bad on everybody, right? We don't want stuff to be shut down again. So, like here we are, like all these high school teams get in and we get these new nicknames. So like ours, we got a big river that comes through our town called the Clinch River. It's huge. And uh, so we, I just said, hey, we're the River City River Dogs. And um, we went and played in that thing. I wasn't allowed to coach them, which is crazy, because at the time, COVID restrictions, like, you know, they you could you could allow someone else to coach your high school team, but you shouldn't be coaching if your district and your state weren't allowing it. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So then you get down to these district levels where some districts were allowing their high school coaches to coach. Some weren't. Ours was a little bit more strict at the time as far as coaching-wise, and I understood why. Like, we we were trying to get everything cleaned up so we could at least allow kids to have a football season coming up. And I totally get it. I wasn't, like, you know, upset. I mean, disappointed more, more or less. But we have that whole summer, which actually set up great for us because it helped me set up a, a, a travel organization that we now have a feeder program. And I've, I've talked to uh, – Parkview about this Chan down there, like how he has this set up. Like that's basically how ours is set up from 10, from 10 years old all the way up to 18. Now we have a organization called river city that is basically our feeder program to our middle school and our high school where Hmm. kids can develop in the fall and develop in the summer. And it COVID actually helped us in that aspect, but also kind of hurt us for the following season because all those seniors graduate. um, And this is last season. And I had, some really great hardworking seniors come in, but they'd not played because they didn't have a JV. <laughs> COVID gets taken <laughs> away. They barely play that summer. They barely play that summer. So these boys ain't played really in three years. <laughs> so crazy. Um, it doesn't matter what I do as far as you know, weight room and get them going and uh, you know, hitting and pitching philosophies and all that and changing base running philosophies and just a whole program change. 
you're not going to be very successful if you've got a bunch of guys you're relying on that haven't really played baseball in three years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we did. We had the season that we had. You know, we didn't do we didn't do hot at all. You know, but we also I scheduled probably the toughest schedule I've ever scheduled and probably ever will. We were seventh toughest at the time of that schedule in the state of Tennessee overall. Um, and people looked at me, it's like, you have no business doing that. And I said, well, I've got now 34 guys and I've got 12 to 14 freshmen that have come into this program and I need them to see high quality baseball, see that we're not, you know, we're not the top dogs. So to make them have a work ethic and at the same time, I want to play really good teams that they learn something. So like playing Butch, like you go out there and his shortstop's fantastic. Unreal leader, knows what he's doing. It gives me the opportunity to look at our shortstop in a game and, and, and pull him to the side and say, hey, you see what he's doing right here? You see how he's shifting his infield? That's what we're talking about in practice. That's where I want you to take a leadership role. That's what I want you to do. Um, playing teams like Dobbins Bennett, who's you know a perennial powerhouse in the state of Tennessee, like we took them to the limit. Playing Greenville, they were they were a state champion two years prior of COVID. You know, we, you know, last inning they they walk it off against us. And you know, I'm, I've got a freshman at first base, a freshman at third base, um, a sophomore at second, a sophomore at uh, short, a freshman at catcher, and then a junior and a junior and a senior in outfield. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, I, I, you take your lumps. You, you, you take your lumps, and you know we we didn't do well, but um, we did way better than what people anticipated. Let's just say that, and we grew. And the biggest compliment for me and my guys was playing high quality teams in our district, like Powell with Josh Warner uh, and Butch and those guys, and coming away and be like, "Hey, man, like we see what's going on here. We see what's happening. We, you know, your guys play extremely hard." And that's if I get a if I get a compliment, they play extremely hard. That's all I need to hear. Yeah. Like, doesn't matter if we, if we win or lose. To me, I, I don't. Being out of the game so long kind of took that uh, thing where if you lose, it really bothers you the whole night. And you don't sleep and you go home and you know you're not very nice to your wife and your kid because you're just upset. Like being out of it for so long really makes you thankful that you're just even playing the game or coaching. Mm-hmm. So it, and it it rubs off on our guys to have the mindset of all right next game and it's not like hey we don't care if we lose like we're not happy go lucky like guys are pissed they're going in the cage hitting extra after the game they're showing up ask text me in the morning but they know now like they see what I say to them everything there's bigger things in life than just the game of baseball and until you recognize that you will not reach your potential and your competitive drive. Because to be a high-level competitor, it has to bother you that you lose, but you have to have a short-term memory that the next day you're ready to come and grind it out again. Because what's going to happen if you don't, you'll come the next day and it'll linger and it'll take away from your competitive drive and it'll take away from your preparation of getting better. So um, that's how we attack things as far as that goes. But, yeah, our season wasn't what I want it to be, but – it led into something in the summer that was fantastic. And we played in the same high school league and ended up second. So with all those young guys growing up, we're pretty excited because Tennessee actually went to four classes and now we're in the class that we're supposed to be in. Um, instead of playing the big dogs like Farragut and those guys, like we're, we're down where we're supposed to be. Um, 
and now we're going to be very competitive. And I'm excited because our basketball team right now is, is proving its case because they're also in the same class and they're number one in the state right now for our class. Hey, so, there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just making the entire school environment crazy. It's so much better. Well, that's what I really like. Um, just, you know, researching and learning about you a little bit is that um, – and just obviously talking with you and the, the ability to detach from wins or losses is what we're really trying to get kids to learn. And it's a huge life skill, like you mentioned, like it's if we really want them focused on the process, which is what all coaches ultimately talk about. You have to truly be able to detach yourself from wins and losses and let that part kind of take care of itself. And so when you're talking about your program has obviously grown in numbers quite a bit from 14 on the get go. Uh, and then obviously, as you're, you're, you're young, but getting better on the field. What I really like too is your your approach to like off the field stuff, and so like you you know where we went back earlier about you know taking your hat off or saying yes sir or whatever it might be. Um, also like pushing kids academically and like trying to help as a baseball coach influence who they are as human beings because sometimes I think we get so bogged down in the sport part of it that we forget what like what our actual job is is to help them become better people. Yeah, and that's that's something I think that. Um... Coach Collette, who was a baseball guy, the guy that hired me as uh, as the AD that was here. Now, now I'm actually co AD with my buddy Nate Martin, which is crazy. Three years, you know, I went all of a sudden ADs in my lap too. But um, so yeah, the academic side. So I'm going to talk a little bit on that because it's something I'm very passionate about. Because I think that's kind of what really was the key in my interview for uh, Brad to hear that I wasn't coming in here like every other coach saying, well, we're going to do X and O and Z and Y. And, you know, by the time that year three rolls around, we're going to be competing for a state championship. And, you know, the, the same – and sometimes it upsets me. I get on stuff and I hear these coaches, these professional coaches talk after a game, and I'm like, man, you're saying the same thing over and over again. Like the guys that I really like listening to is like your – like your uh, your Vrabels and your Belichicks, those guys from the the Patriots organization, they just tell the truth. And if they, if you don't like it, you don't like it. And if if you do, you do. Like I just love hearing the truth like that. And I basically looked at him and said, "Hey, I know what I'm coming into. I know that there hasn't been a whole lot of success. I did my homework. You know, I know this isn't a program that most people are after. Um, but that's why I want it. I want the challenge because if I'm able to do something great here." Like that proves my skills as far as a coach and as a person because I took over something and made it great. Like, you know, everybody says the certain coaches who have a lot of talent, well, anybody could coach that team. Well, that, you know, that's true sometimes. I, they're still got to have a respect for those guys. Like, yeah, you might have a lot of stars on your team, but you still got to get them to jail to, to be, you know, great. So don't let me discredit guys who have a bunch of talent. Um, but when I sat down in the interview, I think Brad later told me this, and it's it's really set in on me, and I hope this helps some coaches out there, is he said, do you know what really stood out to us when you were in your interview? Because I, I never knew. I never knew. And I was like, no, Coach, I have no clue, man. And he was like, you know, you sat down in your interview, and I said, the first thing you talk about is how to build the community first, not just not the baseball program. Like you were talking about things in the community to get everybody on board to follow like a basketball program, to follow the football program. He's like, you weren't even talking about baseball. I said, then the second thing you started talking about, it was how, like how you're going to get guys academically 
to a part where they can make a decision what they want to do in life, whether it's they go to, you know, welding school or whether they go and get a college degree or they play college baseball. You're like, you just could tell the passion you had for that. I said, yeah. And he said, but here's the most important thing, man. And it, it never dawned on me. This never dawned on me. And he goes, you were the first guy in all the interviews to never ask how much you're going to get paid. And I said, I said, what? And I go, and I had to think about it. I was like, did I? And I said, I don't, I don't think I did. And he said, he said, I knew right then that you were the right guy for the job because it didn't matter how much you got paid that you're willing to do whatever you could to coach and be with these kids in this community. And it just like, I don't know. I, t- I went home and told my wife, like, it was probably the biggest compliment I've ever gotten. Like, I was floored. I was almost, I, I'm not a guy that cries. I'm, <laughs> I don't ever cry. I was like, Brittany, I'll be honest with you. I'm about to tear up right now because I didn't even think about that as something that was important, right? But then I started thinking about it. I was like, man, like, he's true. Like, I didn't I didn't even cross my mind how are me and my wife and my son going to make it financially. I just had this set in my mind that I want to be here and I want to help these kids and I want to do something great. And that's really flowed over into our academics. There's a lady here, Miss Merriman, and she's basically an academic coach at our school. And she takes all the kids and tries to get them eligible for either college through ACT scores or ASVAB or, uh, and try to have hard conversations with the parents, whether they need to go to TCAT, which is like technical training school in Tennessee, or, you know, do they need to go the ACT route and go to college? It's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's one of the biggest things that we have at our school. And when I got here, she had told me that we, it's one of the, things that we use the least. And I said, you know what? I'm about to make this like a baseball program, like stone, right? I mean, this is going to be something that we, we set our morals on. Right. And I started putting our guys when I first got here, cause we weren't very good academically. You know, we're talking about, and I hate to say this on, on air, but we're talking about 13s on the ACT. And, um, I took those guys and threw them to the Wolves in ACT class. I said, you are going – I said, you're not coming to practice today. On Wednesday, you're going to ACT. And then when you're done with ACT, you can come to, you can come to practice afterwards. If you get your ACT score up to a, 15, or a 15, I think, was the first thing, or an 18, which are – and I don't want to discredit kids. It's not what we're shooting for, like, as far as money-wise for college. Like, our goal is a 21 in our program. And then anything after that, we're going to be happy about. But I, I, I try to give them goals that, that they could set, that they could get to. Like I knew if I told a kid with a 13, hey, man, I need you to get a 21, he's going to look at it and go, well, it's not even worth my time. Like I'm just not going to get there. I'm not smart enough. I was like, hey, man, why don't we just try 15? It's two points, right? And I built them up that way and made them take those classes. And then my assistant coach came in, was the ISS teacher, and we started putting kids in lunch because we have a unique lunch system where it's an hour lunch. I started putting them into the ISS room for study hall. I was like, you're not, you know, you got bad grades, man. Like you don't need to go out here and play basketball and uh, football and have a good time with your friends right now. Like you need to make sure that you take care of this to now where we're at currently in the program. Like we don't even have to have that study hall unless guys choose to take it because our guys, like we have nobody, like we just got our grades yesterday and nobody in our program is failing a class out of 32 guys where when I first got here, it was like a 70%, Mm -hmm. at least one person was failing a class and it was huge. So what people don't realize as far as that goes, as far as the coaching aspect goes, like if you're competing academically, it changes the school environment. 
where like, in, you know, if you're at a school that hasn't had a lot of success, like we have all of a sudden kids like see you dress different. Cause I, the baseball guys, I make them dress different. Like we ain't wearing slides to class. Like you're sitting front row. Um, you know, if you wear a hoodie, you can't be wearing your hoodie up and indoors. And sometimes kids, if you know, if a kid listens to this, they're like, well, that sucks. I'm like, man, go play for Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt. If you think this sucks, like <laughs> that guy's got some standards, right? And that's where I get it from. I'm like, I want standards. Um, you know, if they've got long hair, I was a guy that wanted to play with long hair and I had to play for coaches who made my hair short. So a couple of years ago, I grew it long and loved it, but you know, I always put it behind my ears and my hat so that it wasn't flowing over my ears. So I tell my guys, I'm like, Hey, if you want long hair, it's gotta be behind your, you know, behind your hat. And if it touches your shoulders, we need to cut it. Right. So I let them have their flows. I let them have at least some fun. Right. Um, but all those standards that we've put in place has really changed the dynamic of school. And then we get a football coach and Darrell Keith, uh, who who's a military background, who has the same exact standards that I do. And our school environments just blew up. Like, our our women's soccer program uh, won ten games. They haven't won ten. They haven't won ten games in like ten years. <laughs> um, then our women's volleyball team went twelve and eleven this year. Finished third in the district. Our basketball team's number one in the in the state right now, uh, in three A and number nine I think overall in the state. Our football team went six and four. In the previous year they'd only won one game. Um, so I'm excited for our baseball program, but it's it's. Hoppy always reminds me, that's her name, Miss Merriman's nickname is Hoppy. She always reminds me, it's like the standards that you have put with your baseball team have carried over to everybody else. And I never realized that stuff until like I step out of the circle and kind of look back and I'm like, all right, I see my baseball guys in lunch. So like they'll leave if they're failing it, like if they're not doing good in class, they'll leave to the study hall. And I can see them talking to like the football guys and the football guys are like kind of giving them a hard time, but they go anyways, or they show up to talk about financial aid with her on their own now, where I don't have to like force them. Um, it's just a different environment. I mean, it, and we've took that serious, and I haven't had to change anything in practice. And now practice, I told our assistants the other day, I was like, man, I was like, this is the first year that I come to practice, and at the end of practice, I don't have to have one of these, you know, drawn out speeches about effort and. Um, standards and like what we're trying to accomplish here. Like the guys I can just tell in their eyes, they know what we're trying to do. So I just give them, Hey, let's get a great day. Let's do it again tomorrow. And I've, we've had that for probably 10 to 15 days or in a row of our open workouts where I'm just like, Hey man, nothing really to tell you. You just keep working hard. And it's wild to me. Um, but they've, they've adopted that style just because they're academics. I think that goes to the point of, of, of changing the culture and how that can positively affect the pro- – it's like this uh, – it's, it's just like a self-propelling circle where uh, if you make it a focus of your program and then like you're talking about other coaches get on board and it becomes a focus of the school and the it just keeps going around. So like you're talking about it's going to make the kids better – academically and then that ultimately as it keep going is going to make them harder workers and then that's going to keep going it's going to turn them into better baseball players or soccer players or volleyball players or you know whatever it might be and then that that 
that school-wide competition where you're you're competing against yourself to be better than you were before that goes back to your idea of like you know the kid turning his 13 act into a 15 uh and you just create this culture of competition within the school where the expectations the standards are super high and everything just keeps rolling and spinning downhill and getting better and better and better and it's just i think a lot of coaches like you said i think a lot of coaches miss out on that aspect and they think that they're here to coach baseball or soccer or whatever it is but you're not like that is it's a it's the most fun part of the job but you're here to help kids become the best version of themselves that they can be and i think so many times we get lost in that we we really really forget about that even when we're super well meaning dude that's 100% accurate right there because I, there's days like and you i'm sure you do this too as a baseball coach you go out there and you might lose to a team that you know that you're that you know that that team that you've lost to is not putting in the work like in the weight room and the throwing programs and everything that you're doing. You're like, man, how in the world are we losing to these guys when all they do is just come and roll the balls out, right? And, and it can it can drive you nuts. And then I remember stuff like what we just talked about. I'm like, well, I was like, I'm changing like completely different things that will carry over for the next 10 years where it's going to turn around. Those guys are going to look at us and go, Man, we better start picking it up because we keep losing to this team. Now <laughs> we just can't <laughs> run the balls out. Yeah. Like what happened? And in, in, in really, in reality, we didn't do anything different baseball wise. We just decided to compete in everything in life. And you know, uh, now we've got guys that are, you know, getting straight A's. Like I've got five or six guys with straight A's. I've got guys with twenty ones and twenty fours and twenty sixes and twenty eights on their ACT. And like you know. I have I had inter squads in the summer and we had games in the summer and these guys are just literally competing without me having to do like a rah rah speech or you know uh, a brave heart type speech to get them going like they're just literally competing because it's in their nature now it's in their blood um, they'll go to those ACT classes and they will literally talk trash to each other about each other's ACT like it's crazy like a guy's like hey man I got like a I got an eighteen the other guys over the twenty one he's like. Yeah, but I got a twenty-one. So when you when you get a twenty-one, you can come talk to me. I'm the one that's getting paid over here. And it's it's like you hear it, and you're like, you're like, man, you're talking trash about ACT scores. But then you walk away smiling because it's like, dude, if you're competing at that, I know for a fact. Like when it's bottom of the seventh, and and the game's on the line, you're going to be a dude on the mound that I can trust. It's going to just absolutely deliver because you're like, I'm not going to let this guy beat me. Like, cause you're just taking the right things serious and the, and the right things competitive. Like what we did for our open workouts, which I think is, is very unique with our program, which is almost college style. I completely broke them up into two different groups, two even groups. And I let one of, I call them one of our groups and I had a draft night. One of our groups was coach Childs, which is one of our assistants. Another one was coach Turpin, who's one of our assistants. And all we did is we kept these guys separate in our open workouts because in our open workouts, open facilities, we lift weight. We do a throwing program uh, that we got that we do through Danny Clark, the Texas Rangers, uh, and Mike Ranson. And then we do also Jaeger stuff. Um, we also do you know weightlifting, which is my background. We take that serious. Uh, and then we do a lot of plyometric stuff and and a lot of and a lot of speed work that we've got from. Decant down in uh, TCU, mm-hmm. and like that's what that's kind of how our open workouts go every day. Well, people are like, well, how are you competing at? Well, when you got two separate teams going, like, and this group's out here doing a throwing program, and this group's over doing speed work, they're just talking trash to each other the whole time, 
and and we've kind of like tried to build that environment where they were separate the whole time. And then we built a point system. And in the point system that we had on a Google spreadsheet, like the guy that had the fastest time sprinting that day, like got so many points for his team. The guy that lifted uh, or did the best in a workout, like I'd have timed workouts for my background of CrossFit that were baseball specific where we weren't like people hear this and they're like, well, you're in there getting kid. No, we're not getting anybody hurt. It's just, it's like how many push-ups could you do in a minute? Well, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've got, you know, they, they got a point system for that where they can win points. They got a point system where we do, uh, you know, a long distance run, a tempo run, right? Uh, the guy that finishes first gets points for that. I got a, 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 a point system for our throwing program, you know, when they get done and they're finishing the, the guy hit the guy in the chest the most out of 15 throws, right? Then you go to the academic side. The guy who has the most A's gets so many points. The guy that has the highest GPA, the guy that has the best ACT score. Um, then it goes even farther, and this is kind of what's really unique with our program, is like our school spirit points. Like if you show up to the women's soccer game, you get so many points for your team. If you show up to the football game, you get so many points. So now not only are they competing at everything, they're racing to go to events that our, our, our school is putting on. They're having pride in going to their stuff that our school is putting on, and they're seeing those teams compete and win, and it's just creating a better environment. And it's really made us very competitive in everything we do. Like, like I love for guys to get after each other and talk a little smack. Now, do I let guys talk smack in games? Not, I really don't. Like, I'm, I'm probably the guy that's like calls a bunch of bush stuff out. Because I was a very quiet guy. If I was going to tell you something, I was going to. I, I told myself and I told the guys, if I was, if I got mad at you, I was going to hit a double and get on second. And just say it underneath my breath, right? If you if you did mm-hmm. something wrong, right? I'm not the guy yelling from the dugout. I I hate raw raw dugouts, right? And um, but we're so competitive in that aspect. Like they'll go to the basketball game and uh, they'll be like fighting over which chant to do for the basketball team. But it's like a good fight, right? It's not like an argument of thing where they're like. It's like brothers, and it, I think it's really helped us get that competitive edge that we were missing when I first got here. Because when I first got here, they didn't know how to win; they, they just didn't. And in the summer, keeping them separated and keeping us going, like they just figured it out. And they're like, you know what? Like if we can beat each other every day and like push each other, there's nobody that can beat us. And that's kind of like the environment we've created. And I'm I'm pretty impressed with it right now, and I'm very excited about this season. Well, I think it's it just the whole picture of it. Is, it's awesome. And it just hearing the direction of it is really exciting because, like you said, uh, multiple times throughout the podcast, just this idea of of creating co- you know competitors, of creating guys who are so much more than just baseball players and how that obviously, you know, positively and intentionally improves the culture of the entire school. And then, again, that comes back to improving the culture of the team and so on and so forth that uh, – just really exciting to see where things are in a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, when this keeps kind of snowballing and getting bigger and bigger. And, um, and then the results on the field start to show up too, which is really cool. But again, it doesn't really matter because it's about this whole process and how this makes you a better person from the get go. So just, um, really excited. I, I want to make sure, and I think we owe it to ourselves to, uh, you know, after this spring, maybe summertime to have you on again and just kind of see, see how the, how the spring went with the move to the, the new division and, and, and kind of just 
how the program is built along the way and whatnot. But um, kind of before I let you go, just wanted to give you the mic one more time. And, you know, obviously there's tons we got into and tons we didn't. And uh, just from this standpoint, just give you a chance if there's anything you think we missed that we definitely should have gotten in today or, or any just final thoughts you have, just kind of give the mic to you one last time. Yeah, man, I, I would love to come back on and do that uh, again. Like I told you before we got on, I love uh, my, my actual degree and background was communications. That was my degree in college. And I had to go back and get my you know PE degree and all that stuff. But um, one thing that I think that I've heard uh, Sheets say this, and I, I've, I've went and worked his camps, and, and it's always hit home with me. And, and, and I hear so many guys say it after he'd said it, and, and he might not have been the first guy to say it. It might have been someone else. But it's so true um, to be where your feet are at. Um, you know, especially if you're if you're frustrated or struggling, you're like, man, like if I was somewhere else, it constantly goes in your mind. If I was somewhere else and I had more talent, you know, people would know how good of a coach I was. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing, is, the thing is, like I, I've really set at a point to not value myself as a coach on wins and losses because our basketball coaches talked to me th- about this fantastic guy. He's there's been a, there's been a locker that's been a coach at our school for 50 years straight because his dad coached here t- too. Um, so they've never had it in, in the last 50 years, the head coach of basketball has had the last name locker and he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, and he's literally drove that home to me. Like, man, he's like, Rob, I've had years where we've went 32-0 and 0 and been ranked nationally and ranked in the state, and I've had years where we've won seven games, and I'm sitting over like I'm the worst coach in the world. He's like, you cannot value yourself and wins as a coach and as a person on wins and losses. He's like, you have to value yourself on the things you do for your community, your school, and the kids that are involved. He's like, that's where you'll find the most accomplishment and most satisfaction. And I was like, man, that's 100% true because – this summer, um, you know, I work. I, I was working for a travel team too, BC Athletics, with Brett Carroll, who played in the Marlins organization, and uh, just just word got around like what we were doing at Clinton. Even though our win loss record wasn't great, word got around and kids started hearing. And I was coaching other kids from other schools, and all of a sudden, I'm being you know I'm being asked if I'm interested in a prestigious job in Knoxville, a prestigious high school in Knoxville, and um, I literally told the group, uh, you know, at this moment, no, I'm not. Um, you know, this is my third going into my third year at Clinton, and God sent me here for a purpose and a reason. And when I stood in front of all these parents in this community and told them I'm here to to change things and change the community and and create winners in life, I was like, I meant that, right? Like, I, <laughs> it, it looked really sad if I went 20 minutes down the road. And all these people are like, well, what happened to this stuff you kept telling us about? Like, believe in me, believe in the system, what we're doing, and believe in the process. And then you leave after three years and then go to another high school and then try to do the same thing. Well, that other high school is going to look and say, well, you're, you know, it's going to be a little bit of hesitation right there. They're going to be like, you're going to leave us after three years too. So I think there's a lot of value in, in sometimes staying where you're at and building your reputation and building something of quality before just jumping to the next step. Um, because it's always like that, that ring, that shiny thing. There's always going to be something that's more shiny that you can reach and get to. Well, what are you doing with your own thing? Like, are you making it something like I've told our assistants, are we making Clinton a job? If we were ever to leave 
a job that someone else would desire or want or a high level job. I said, that is the goal. Like for someone, if we left or if we got tired of coaching and we retired or something like that, and someone looked at Clinton on the job board and was like, holy cow, Clinton's open. Like I want to go coach there. Or are we creating an environment or a job that's like, man, Clinton's open. I, I'm going to pass on that one. And I think that's something some guys, especially young coaches, um, I'm 34, so I'm not super young and I'm not super old. I'm in that middle area. But I'm aged because of owning that gym that I understood how important it was to make something special. And I knew when I got back in coaching, like not to hop around and be that guy that does that. And that's no offense to anybody, whatever your cup of tea is. But young coaches that I look back at now, and I've had this conversation with our head coach, our head basketball coach, it's like, man, guys, like just go somewhere and like make it the best it can be and like really put your stamp on that place and then go make your own. Like if you want to go make something great somewhere else, do it. But if you're just there to coach and move up, like are you really increasing your coaching and your knowledge and and helping the people around you and what you say you're supposed to be doing? And at the same time, are you showing others who've been in the game for like 30 years the same respect? I'm big on that. I hate I hate running the, into young guys um, that don't really know their place with older coaches. And some and I, I get on Twitter and it's what kind of drives me nuts. They're like. Everybody's, you know, everybody's so anti-old school and we're so anti-new school. Well, here's the thing. If everybody would just show everybody respect, the game of baseball would grow so much more. Like, I learned things from older coaches, like listening to just their stories. <laughs> You're right. And then these new guys coming up with all the analytics, I learned just as much from them because they're so into, like, just the science behind it that it makes it very interesting to dive into that, right? But at the same time, I'm trying to give both worlds the respect. But, you know, you'll go to a clinic and it's like guys are just bashing guys to bash guys. And it's like, I'm not in that for that, man. It's I'm here to learn and grow and try to be the best coach I can be. And I'm trying to pick pick pieces from each person. So um, that's why I think I gravitate towards guys like Butch a lot and um, gravitate toward guys like Sheets because, man, they just show everybody respect. And it's in, it's amazing to see it in person. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it so much. And, and just your, your, I don't know, just the way you put things and, and like you said, man, how positive you are and how, how it truly listening to you. It's, it's extremely obvious that you're, you're doing this thing for the right reasons and actually trying to uh, affect change, you know, not only in kids, but in a community and, and among other human beings. And it's just, it's inspiring. And I hope people kind of hear that message, uh, by listening to you. So I just appreciate you so much. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. Enjoy it. And then uh, enjoy the other podcasts you've put on too. I appreciate it. Rob Stacy is one of those coaches who is truly in it to change lives, not just baseball players to change lives. I think a lot of coaches say that, and I think a lot of us want to mean it, but I know plenty of us fall short. I think we could all learn a thing or two from listening to a coach like Rob Stacy. So lucky to have been able to bring him on the show. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter yet, or if you haven't picked up some high school coaches club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And no matter where you're listening, hit that subscribe button. 
Most importantly, if you found any value at all from this episode, and of course you did, or any previous episode, please share it on social media to your followers, via email to your fellow coaches, or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Stacy for jumping on the call with me, and thanks again to Netting Pros and Driveline Plus for sponsoring the episode, and of course to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price, and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.